Good morning, brothers and sisters. Really special time to be with you this morning and worship and focus on our great King. If you haven't already, go ahead and grab your Bibles, and I want you to open up to the first gospel, the gospel of Matthew this morning. We're going to walk through a little bit of section of chapter one here, so go ahead and find your place. We'll uh, turn to that in just a minute, but we don't, we don't do this a lot, but you know, every Sunday we come in here, and this praise team, this, these guys on stage lead us in Christ-honoring, scripture-saturated worship. Can we just tell them a huge thank you this morning for what they do and leading us in worship every week? Guys, thank you. Guys in the sound booth. Now, we don't want to take that for granted of what we get to do every Sunday to come in here and sing together like that. Great, great joy. Well, Matthew chapter 1, here's a statistic for you that uh, this Christmas season, advertisers will spend somewhere around $3.7 billion on advertising just during the Christmas season. $3.7 billion will be spent to get your attention. Now, when I saw that stat, I just couldn't believe that much money is spent. And here's what went off in my mind just to come in here even this morning and continue to talk about kind of what Daniel introduced us to. There is a constant war and battle going on for your attention and my attention. Something will have your focus. Something is going to have my attention. Is that which has my attention and your attention worthy of the attention I'm giving? And that's what Advent for us is all about. We get to come in here as a church family and we get to come in here and through the teaching of God's word and through the singing of the truth of God's word, uh, we've aligned our family discipleship plan. If you don't know through this Advent season, there's just a ton of resources available for you online to walk through these truths as a family through our family discipleship plan. There's a reading plan that you can follow with your families. And then come Christmas Eve, we get to come and celebrate giving and generosity together as a church family through this Advent season. So really a time, my hope, my prayer, I think I say it almost every week, man, I don't want anything to dazzle us more than Jesus Christ. And I want our hearts to be so in tune against this battle for our attention that we together spur one another on to King Jesus. And that's what we want to do this morning. So this Christmas story we've been walking through, just to remind you, we've been walking through the, the Christmas story and God's redemptive plan as it's fleshed out in the lives of God's people. We've seen one characteristic of God's people a few weeks ago is that God's people long for the coming of their king. And we were challenged to ask the question, what are you longing for this Christmas season? What is it that you're longing for above all else? And then last week, Pastor Paul challenged us again to say, that Jesus followers learn, we're not, we're not really good at it, but we learn to wait, and we learn to wait well. Sometimes waiting means months and years to the fulfillment of maybe God's promise, as we saw in the life of Simeon last week, a guy who had been told by God, Simeon, you're the priest there in the Gospel of Luke, before you die, you're going to hold the Messiah in your arms. You're going to see the birth of the promised Messiah. And we saw that flesh out in the life of Simeon last week. Now this week, we're going to look at Joseph. Husband of Mary, the earthly father, if you will, of Jesus. And his picture for us this week is a picture of trust. A picture of obedient, active trust, even when God's plan 
and my plan aren't the same. So here's the big truth we're going to be chasing. And again, this is all, you can flesh this out in our FTP material. I, I hope these conversations continue with your families. But here's the big truth that we're going to kind of chew on this week. Jesus' followers trust the king. Now this trust is an active trust. It's not passive. This trust is an obedient kind of trust. And we're going to see that fleshed out this morning here in Matthew in the life of Joseph. Now. Isn't it easy to talk about trust when everything goes our way? Isn't it really easy? Let's just be honest with one another. The whole idea of trust, we're thumbs up. Yeah, I trust God. What happens when things just don't go according to your plan? What happens when God's plan and your plan, watch this, even collide sometimes? Because often we're reminded that my plans don't quite work out as I intended. Now this is just a silly little example. I told you this a few weeks ago. Uh, uh, Thanksgiving morning, I, I, my plans didn't quite work the way I thought they were going to. I, I was dispatched to Walmart by my wife to go pick up Christmas lights on Christmas morning. And as I was leaving Walmart early in the morning... A gentleman had got into an altercation over in the parking lot of Walmart with someone else. He was storming out of Walmart parking lot. As I was coming out, I got in his way, and he, he sideswiped the side of my car and had the audacity to keep going. So what do you do? You chase him. So I got my guy. I just kept kind of following him, and I had to get some information. I wanted to get his tag number, and before I knew it, here's the way I spent most of Thanksgiving morning. Go ahead and put that up on the screen. There it is. That's me surrounded by about, that's not me handcuffed there, by the way. That's me surrounded by about six cop cars, police cars there on Thanksgiving morning. It's not the way I planned or intended to, be, to spend most of Thanksgiving morning at all. But that's the way it worked out. Now, take that idea when your plans, you know, I thought if Pastor Paul can put family pictures up, I could put family pictures too, okay? So mine are just a little different. You can go ahead and take that down, by the way. Somebody might know that guy. Who knows? <laughs> now watch. That's kind of comical and everything worked out all right. What happens in your life when God's purposes and plans collide with yours? Just be honest. It's easy to talk about trusting God's plan when he does what I want him to. What does it look like in your life and my life through this Advent season of learning to, to worship our great king? Joseph in this story gives us an example of the Christmas story for Joseph. Not being angels singing and not being Christmas trees. Joseph's world is turned upside down. His plans and God's plan for redemption of the world don't happen to agree in this immediate circumstance. What happens when the job that you had planned doesn't quite work out? Are you still trusting? What happens when the relationship that you'd put all the eggs in that basket dissolves? Are you still trusting God's plan? What happens when the investment you made tanks? What happens when the wayward son doesn't come back? What happens when the medical report is not what everyone prayed for? 
The challenge this morning as we tune our hearts to worship our King is this. It's easy to trust when we fully agree. It's easy to say we trust when we fully understand. It's easy to even trust when God does what we expect and watch when, we, when He does what we think He should. But what about when we're in a situation where God seems to be doing something that totally collides with our plan? Matthew chapter 1, story of Joseph. Joseph's plans and God's plan of redemption for the world are not quite the same. How does he respond? Now, if you've taken time to do the reading this morning or at some point, Matthew chapter 1, you came across all the genealogy material that starts with Abraham, walks through Judah and David, and then comes all the way down to Joseph. It's a broad picture in Matthew chapter 1 written primarily for the Jews to say, let me show you all the evidence that points that Jesus Christ is the promised Messiah. You can chase his line all the way back to Abraham and even earlier before Abraham. So it's this broad picture in Matthew chapter 1 of Jesus is who he claims to be, the promised Messiah that we've been waiting for for millennia. And then you take this broad perspective and you narrow it really narrow into the life of Joseph and Mary. So look in verse 18. We're going to zoom in to the story of the birth of Jesus in the life of Joseph and Mary. Verse 18. Now, the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. I want to stop right there for just a minute. Do you know what the word understatement means? <laughs> the word understatement basically means you are declaring or saying something as much less significant than it really is. This is a massive understatement here in verse 18. Joseph's world has just been shaken to its core. And I want you to feel that tension a little bit this morning. It says in verse 18 that Joseph and Mary were betrothed. Now, we don't use that word a lot today, right? We don't use the word betrothal. You can think of a betrothal almost as an engagement on steroids, if you will. It was incredibly binding. It was legally binding. There were different stages of betrothal. And that's where Mary and Joseph, we find them in the story. Stage one of betrothal is uh, the husband's family, along with Joseph's help to some degree, had chosen Mary to be the wife of Joseph. They're going to bring her into the family, so to speak. That was stage one. Now, she continues to live with her family. She continues to live under the leadership of her own father and their family. Then they go to stage two. Stage two is this formal pre-marriage agreement drawn up of what marriage is going to look like, financial arrangements, all these things. They're past stage two. And in one sense, you can refer to them as husband and wife, although they're not completely legally married. But they're in a binding relationship that can only be broken down by a certificate of divorce. They are planning marriage. They're talking marriage. They're, it's as if they're married in that culture, but they've not yet crossed that line yet. It was Joseph's responsibility to keep his future wife sexually pure, which he does. 
He has honored her. He has honored the Lord in that. They are preparing for marriage. And let's just be real honest. They love one another as best we can tell. Joseph has built his life now on what's coming of this future bride. She's going to be my wife, Mary. And in a great understatement, you come to verse 18, and it says, she was found to be with child. Have you ever read that verse and just went, that's what Joseph did. So Joseph, at some point... It is discovered and realized that his wife-to-be, who he is betrothed to, is carrying a baby. And it's not his. That's a problem. So Joseph right now is colliding the situation. His plan and what he has planned is colliding with what seems to be God's plan. Now, at the end of verse 18, it says this is from the Holy Spirit. We know now, looking back, this is of God. Mary knew this was of God because the angel had already come to Mary and announced the plan. But the angel didn't come to Joseph. The angel came to Mary. We get that, and you just look over this. We get this in Luke chapter 1. Prior to all this, Mary receives a visit from the angel. Luke chapter 1, verse 26 says, In the sixth month, talking about Elizabeth's pregnancy, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. Here's what the angel tells Mary. And behold, you, Mary, will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you will call his name Jesus. And Mary said to the angel, "Uh, problem. Never been with a man. We're honoring our marriage. We're sexually pure. Parents, you can explain all this to your kids later. (laughs) The angel says, She says, verse 34, how will this be since I'm a virgin? Verse 35, and the angel answered her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you. The power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. So Mary gets this message from this angelic messenger to help her wrestle with what's about to happen to her. Nobody else gets this message yet. And you can imagine the conversation between her and Joseph. Honey, I've got, I, I, I'm, I'm about four months pregnant as it is in the story of Matthew. But I want you to know, Joseph, it's of the Lord. That's a tough sell, right? Mary cannot... Can I believe you? I mean, we've had this relationship. It's not going the way I thought. You're now pregnant, and I'm not the dad. And you're now trying to tell me it's of the Lord. And all this is going on in Joseph's mind. At this point, the Christmas story, watch this, for Joseph is a nightmare. God's plans, his plans, have collided. What do you do in those situations? Give you a few big ideas really quick. Number one. And again, these are all in the FTP. You can talk through these at home. Big idea number one is this. We trust the king's perfect plan. Now, I can imagine you put yourself in old Joseph's shoes here. I'm not so sure his first response to the situation was, well, I guess this is God's plan. Everything's going to be according to his perfect plan. I imagine Joseph wrestles with this. You come down to verse 19, it says... 
and her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved... That's the ESV word. I don't know what word your Bible may use. It says he resolved to divorce her quietly. The word resolve means to wrestle. It means to come to a decision after much pondering and much thought. Man, Joseph spent some late nights. Joseph spent some of those moments pondering and thinking, I know what Mary's telling me. I have no reason to doubt her, but all the evidence is pointing to something else. And what are the people going to say? What should I do? How should I handle this? And everything in Joseph could have responded to the situation selfishly. I've got to guard my name. Oh, I've been wrong because in one sense from all the evidence it indicates that he has. But look what Joseph does. The Bible says, being a just man... That phrase, it literally means a godly man, a man of God. His heart was fixed on God. Joseph says, no, no, no. I'm going to do what I can to even still honor Mary. He resolved to divorce her quietly. He responds to this, reveals the condition of his heart that he doesn't understand everything, but he still wants to honor Mary as best he can. He was embarrassed. He was shamed. He had every right under the Jewish law to publicly shame Mary, but he chooses to not do that. He resolved. He made a decision after much contemplation. And then look at verse 20. He continues on. But as he considered these things. Now listen, let me tell you something. This is one of those practical little passages anywhere in the story. The word considered is again another it's a credible word. Joseph considers these things. He considered and thought through the outcomes of his decisions. He considered and thought, how did it come to this point? Do I trust Mary? The word considered here literally means revolving a matter in thought without a clear perception of an outlet. Meaning, he resolves this, he wrestles this thing in his mind, and it's as if, I don't really know what to do, I don't know what's best, I don't see a way out. You've been there before? One of the pictures of this story of Joseph is, what do we do when we don't know what to do as children of the king? And what do we do when God's plans seem to collide with my own plans what do we do throughout the bible you see testimony after testimony of god's people being placed in these tight spots in these places where it's you're considering and i don't know the way out of my situation and here's what you see from god's people this is big idea number two we trust the king with our doubts and our fears second samuel 22 it says of david The Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer. For the waves of death have encompassed me. The torrents of destruction have assailed me. The cords of Sheol have entangled me. The snares of death have confronted me. In other words, I'm in this situation and I don't know a way out. In my distress, I called upon the Lord to my God. I called from his temple. He heard my voice and my cry came into his ears. Now, there's, there's a picture throughout the Bible that one of the ways we set our hearts on our king is in these times, we don't respond as might need our natural fleshly response. We respond in the spirit and we look and we trust our king with our doubts and our fears. We go to him. Joseph seemed to go to him. David went to him. Psalm 116. Then I called on the name of the Lord. Oh Lord, I pray, deliver my soul. 
Jesus himself in his incarnation is a picture of this. In the Garden of Gethsemane, I'll just read it to you, Matthew 26, 39. Jesus wrestling with what he knew he was going to be doing the next day going to the cross. Humanly was wrestling with this. He was considering all this. And it says, and going a little further, he fell on his face and prayed, saying, My father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but your will. He trusted his father with his doubts and his fears. That's what Joseph does. That's a picture of someone whose heart is fixed on their king. Doesn't mean they all get resolved the way we want them to. Doesn't mean everything works out the way we had hoped. But it's a point of growing in trust of our king in the middle of a situation where our plans and his plans seemingly collide. Keep reading with me. Go back to verse 20. So it says, as he considered these things, behold, now I love this. The way it's written here is it's this, we don't know how long it lasted, maybe a week, maybe a month of Joseph just wrestling, this considering that's going on. It says, as he considered these things, this is ongoing, God steps in. Behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, now this is incredible what God chooses to speak through this angel to Joseph in this time of pondering and seeking the Lord. He says, he appears to Joseph and he says this, Joseph, son of David. Mark that in your Bible. He says, Joseph, you need to understand something, big boy. You're not a descendant of David for nothing. Traces all the way back. He'd gone through the lineages early in Matthew. This is a moment where he's reminding Joseph, Joseph, remember the plan that God is working here is much bigger than you. You are a descendant of David. Don't you remember, Joseph, that forever, through the Old Testament, the Messiah has been promised to be a descendant of David. Joseph, you're not a descendant of David for nothing. I've got a plan. And Joseph, my plan is much, much bigger than your plan. He goes on, verse 20, he says, Do not fear. The most repeated phrase, one of the most repeated phrases throughout the Bible, over 360 times, God speaks to his children in times just like this. Do not fear. Because our human response is always fear and dread and doubt. God says, do not fear. Joseph, I want you to take Mary as your wife. You can take Mary as your wife. For... That which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. Now watch this. Joseph had heard that through Mary. It wasn't that he doubted Mary, but all the evidence is just hard to get your hands around. Now God, through his angel, says the same thing to Joseph. Joseph, you need to understand, Mary's not lying. The baby is of the Holy Spirit. It is miraculous. It is the hand of God. Can you imagine Joseph's relief in that moment? This is of God. God is working even when I didn't realize it. This is of God's hand. It's on verse 21 and says, She will bear a son. The angel still revealing to Joseph God's plan here. He says again, Joseph, I, I, this is all you see of it right now is your situation. But Joseph, I'm going to pull you back and show you God's big plan of redemption. She, Mary, is going to bear a son. Now watch this. I've never noticed this until this week. This absolutely blew me away. 
And God through the angel says to Joseph, and you, Joseph, you're going to name him Jesus. This is a singular verb, by the way, speaking directly to Joseph. Joseph, you are going to call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. In that moment, God took Joseph and through his word, through his revelation, revealed and pulled back and said, Joseph, the situation you're in is much, much bigger than you even realize. The situation you're in, I'm completely in control of it. I've even ordained this from the beginning of time. Joseph, it's much bigger than you, and it's of the Lord. And then he says, this is glorious. He said, Joseph, you are going to have the privilege of naming that boy Jesus, which means, Joseph, you're going to marry Mary. <laughs> you're going to take her as your wife. And then you're going to have the privilege of calling this boy your son. You're going to be his legal dad. You're going to be his earthly dad. You don't have no idea what I'm doing here, Joseph, but I've given you the privilege of being the earthly dad of the Messiah. It looked like your world was unraveling and our plans were colliding. No, my plan was so much bigger than your plan, you couldn't even realize what I was doing. And he says, you're going to name the boy because that was the privilege given to the father. You'll have the privilege of calling him Jesus. You learn from this, you can just write a few of these things down really quick. Number one, God's plans are far greater than ours. And when we're in those situations and it seems that our plans are colliding with God's plans, I want you to remember, Joseph, the story here declares God's plans are always so much greater and higher than ours. His ways are not our ways. His thoughts are not our thoughts. Joseph, you have no idea what I'm doing here for the redemption of the world. And I'm even going to give you the privilege of being the earthly father of the Messiah by adoption. You're going to adopt this boy. You're going to be his earthly father. Secondly, unplanned circumstances may be for gospel advancement. This seemed like an unplanned circumstance from Joseph's situation. It wasn't. God had ordained it from the beginning. And it was not just about Joseph and Mary. It was for the advancement of the gospel of the Lord Jesus. He says, you're going to name this boy Jesus. He will save his people from their sins. Joseph, this is not just about you. This is not just about Mary. This is about the redemption of the world because this boy is going to come. He's going to be born. He's going to live. He's going to die for the sins of the world. And he's going to rise again. My plan is bigger than you can even imagine, Joseph. And then third little takeaway here is this. that It's as if to say their marriage was much more than just the union of two people. Their marriage existed to advance the purposes of God. That was a huge takeaway for me this week. Joseph's focused on marriage, and that's a glorious thing. Marriage is a gift from the Lord. But God reminds him and says, listen, your marriage exists for the advancement of the gospel and my purposes. And oh, by the way, so does yours. So does mine. For he will save his people from their sins. Verse 22, keep going. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Gospel writer here, Matthew, traces this all the way back to the Old Testament prophecies. He's going to quote Isaiah here in verse 23 and say, Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. As if, again, to remind Joseph, Joseph, the plans, the situation that you find yourself in have been ordained from the beginning of time. This is much bigger than you can imagine. It is God stepping into human flesh and walking among his people. And I'm allowing you to be a part of this, Joseph. 
When God's plans collide with our plans, do we trust? So this is where it gets really practical for you and me in the Advent story. We, we read this story about Joseph and then we have to realize we're either coming out of a situation where it seems like my plans collide with God's. You, you're in one of those situations right now or let me just assure you, you're headed for one. So the challenge this morning for us again is kind of where we started. You, you look at the life of Joseph. When God's plans collide with ours, do we really trust in an active, obedient way when we don't understand, when it doesn't make sense? We get so narrow-focused on our own situation, we forget, wait a minute, God is always working in the larger picture. It's never just about me. Verse 24, Joseph, what did he do? It says, when Joseph woke from sleep. So this angel had spoken to him in this dream. He wakes from his sleep. He did as the angel of the Lord commanded. He took his wife, but he knew her not until she had given birth. He continues to honor the Lord. He continues to honor Mary and, uh, uh, until she had given birth to a son. And then the last phrase, and he called his name Jesus. Carrying out the plan of God, which was much, much greater than Joseph's plan. Here's your last big idea. We trust the king by obeying his word. Joseph acted. He obeyed. It wasn't easy what he did. There was public shame that went along with what he did. People didn't understand what he was doing. He, he and Mary alone were the only two along with Elizabeth that had been told that this is of God. People had to take them at their word. Obedience wasn't easy here. But you know something about the picture of Joseph? Genuine trust. We say we trust. We say we trust. Genuine trust always involves action. There's always steps of obedience. There's always the measure of our trust by the outward demonstration of that trust. Joseph obeys outwardly. He does what he was called to do by God. It's not always easy. Are we trusting? And the other takeaway here is that obedience often has a price. Now this is a little nugget buried down in here, but you have to understand, Joseph takes her to be his wife. Mary's still pregnant. The community doesn't fully understand the testimony of what they're saying and saying this is of the Lord. Everyone doesn't believe that. In other words, there was a price that Joseph and Mary had to pay socially by obeying what God called them to do. Publicly, Joseph steps into that shame himself. The angel appeared to Joseph and Mary, but not to their neighbors, not to their family members, not to the larger public. And it appears that the scorn and the shame of the birth of Jesus continued to linger over their lives and even over Jesus' life all the way through until Jesus was crucified and rose again. In other words, there was a price to pay. How do you say that? What do you mean? You don't have to take time to look this up. You can mark it down. All the way in John chapter 8, verse 41, when Jesus is a grown man, he's in an argument with the Pharisees. The Pharisees are trying to ridicule Jesus. They're doubting the ministry of Jesus. They're denying who Jesus is. And they lob this bomb at Jesus. They say, 841, and they said to Jesus, we were not born of sexual immorality. In other words, like you. So there was this shame and scorn that seemed to hover over the head of Mary and Joseph from the public eye and even the life of Jesus. The point is this, sometimes obeying what God calls us to do because we trust, there's a price to pay. Joseph had to pay a price. 
Mary had to pay a price. And the question for you and I is this, do we trust our king? Do we trust that his plans are infinitely higher than our plans? I'm going to ask the team just to come on up and begin to play. I'm going to ask you to have a have a time right there in your own seat of really reflecting on these things and asking yourselves these things. I just want to ask you a few questions as our team makes their way up here and we enter into a time of response. Remember, here is the big truth this morning that Jesus' followers trust our king. What does that look like? Do you trust that the king's plan is better and more perfect than your plan, even when our plans seem to collide? Do you take your doubts and your fears to your king or do you try to deal with them on your own and respond what comes naturally or what comes supernaturally? Do you obey? Even when it doesn't make sense? Well, there's some situations in your life right now where you would say, here's my testimony right now. This is not at all what I planned. This is not at all the way I saw it working out. This is not at all how I had set it up. Are you trusting? Are you obeying? Are you actively submitting to the Word of God in your life? Anything other than that, here's what it does. It reveals that someone or something else has the focus and the attention of our heart. They always talk about Advent, all this idea of focus and where, where's our focus. The way we respond in situations that are unpredictable and unexpected in our lives reveals the condition of our heart. Joseph revealed he was a guy who trusted his king. He took his doubts to his king. He obeyed his king. And man, he learned that God's plans and God's ways are infinitely greater than our own Father I thank you for this morning God I pray you'll continue to press these truths out in our heart I pray that we will take these truths and we'll talk them out with our families and our children and Lord we will each of us be challenged to ask where is the condition of my heart am I really trusting even when I don't understand and even when things don't go according to my plan do I trust my king Love you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Why don't you stand?